Stay tuned at the end of the episode for a special offer for Review Assistance listeners from the Harvard Center for Primary Care on an upcoming conference. Hello, and welcome to Review of Systems, your podcast on primary care innovation, payment reform, health policy, and more. I'm Thomas Kim, and this week we're talking about teaching health centers with Dr. Frederick Chen, professor of family medicine at the University of Washington and a recent senior advisor to HRSA's Bureau of Health Professions for the Teaching Health Center program. Teaching health centers are primary care residency training sites in community-based federally qualified health centers as an alternative to traditional tertiary care hospital-based training. We talk about why they may be a key part in solving the primary care workforce shortage and Freddie's research that led to this innovative policy aiming to increase primary care access in underserved settings. Dr. Frederick Chen is also Chief of Family Medicine at Harborview Medical Center in Seattle, Washington, and Director of the Whammy Family Medicine Residency Network, which he mentions in our conversation. And as always, please rate and review us on your favorite podcast platform, and we look forward to hearing your feedback on Twitter, Facebook, or by email. Dr. Freddie Chen, welcome to the program. Hello, thanks for having me. So why don't we start by talking about uh, what teaching health centers are and, and what the problem is that they're, uh, that this piece of policy is trying to solve. Sure. So uh, teaching health centers is, uh, was a new program that was created uh, in the Affordable Care Act. Um, and it, it is a program that creates and funds and supports uh, new residency training programs in primary care especially. Uh, and the, uh, what's unique about teaching health centers is that they, um, they actually have to be community-based slash community-sponsored uh, residency programs. Uh, these are, so again, these are residency training programs, so it's for um, uh, specialty training after uh, physicians graduate from medical school and they have to do residency training um, and so they're, they're uh, generally three-year programs uh, in uh, primary care specialties uh, as well as dental um, uh, programs, and psychiatry is also eligible. So um, there's a lot of residency training programs around the country, but the Teaching Health Center program really focuses on specific types of residency programs, and I think what's unique about it is the funding model for the Teaching Health Center's uh, is different than traditional residency programs. Yeah, maybe as a little background, would you mind telling us how traditional graduate medical education funding works? Sure. So residency training, or GME, uh, which is graduate uh, medical education, um, historically and um, and conventionally is is actually supported by hospitals. Um, and so most, uh, the vast majority of residency programs are really uh, based in hospitals, in our, um, and the reason for that is because most of the funding for these residency programs, including the salaries for the residents and the salaries for the faculty and other costs, is actually paid for by Medicare. So it's a government-funded, you know, the government-funded sort of um, uh, health insurance program of Medicare uh, really contributes the bulk of funding for, for residency training for GME. And when they set it up in the um, uh, when they set up that system uh, in the 1960s uh, as part of passing Medicare, they decided that the funding for these residency programs would go um, 
uh, directly to the hospitals, uh, and that the hospitals that sponsor the programs are the ones who get the money. And it's up to the hospitals to then pass the money on to to um, the residency training programs. And for the most part, I mean, uh, you know, I think there's no doubt that the graduate medical education system in in our country is robust, and it's the envy of many. Uh, countries in the world and, you know, has produced uh, a high-quality, highly trained uh, physician workforce. Um, however, one of the things that's frustrating about the GME system is that uh, it hasn't produced primary care physicians uh, at the rates that, that we really need them in the country. And the other piece has been rural and underserved communities don't get the workforce that they need, and part of that is because the training happens primarily in large urban hospitals and large urban academic centers. So there was a recent Institute of Medicine report several years ago that really sort of focused on these issues of GME, and this is one of the things that really highlighted was the fact that the system is about Medicare-paying hospitals creates physicians that are predominantly specialty trained, predominantly hospital-based, uh, and has uh, been harder to, to get um, primary care and family physicians sort of trained in the system and, uh, and how to serve um, the areas that, they, that, that we need them to serve in the country. Mm. Uh, so tell us about how the Teaching Health Center program started and what the specific designation means because I think there are, there are certainly primary care training sites that are at community health centers but may not be a teaching health center designee. That's right. That's right. And so it's actually um, it's a, it's a great um, question and an important sort of piece. So um, as I was talking about with Medicare GME funding being based focused on hospitals, the, the main innovation about teaching health centers is that the money actually goes directly to the residency training program and not to the hospital mm. but the requirement so and the other thing is that it's it's a HRSA program so HRSA the Health Resources Services Administration is another uh, different uh, federal agency within the Department of Health and Human Services it's the agency that funds uh, community health centers uh, funds primary care workforce training as well as a number of other programs but Teaching Health Centers lives within HRSA. And so what, when the program was created, what the real difference was um, this is money that's not money. It's, it's HRSA money, and it comes directly from HRSA to the residency training programs. Now, you're right, absolutely right. There are a lot of community-based residency programs that already exist, um, but all of them funded by, mainly from the hospitals that they are connected to. And so the, the innovation with this uh, program is that in order to be a teaching health center, you actually have to not be sponsored by a hospital, but you have to be sponsored by a community-based organization like a community health center, like a, uh, a federally qualified health center, um, or some other kind of community-based organization, and not, not, a, not a teaching hospital. And that um, distinction is is critical in sort of who who is eligible to be a teaching health center, and it's critical for the funding in that the funding then goes directly to that that community organization or or CHC rather than than to the hospital to to support the residency training. Uh, and what what's um, the origins of this idea? Is this, I, I think you worked on some research that described what training in health centers 
could do for the potential of those trainees and where they yeah. go on to work. Uh, could you describe kind of how that translated into this this piece of policy? Sure, sure. It's super. It's, it's super exciting and, and uh, really uh, kind of a cool story. We uh, here at the University of Washington. I had been involved in. Uh, rural health research and primary care workforce research for a long time, right after my residency and fellowship training. Um, and we are often, we're always focused on the, these issues about how do you get more doctors into rural and underserved areas, especially the primary care workforce. Um, here in uh, the Pacific Northwest, we have um, the five-state whammy region, so that's Washington, Wyoming, Alaska, Montana, and Idaho, and we have a number of family medicine residency programs in this five-state region, uh, and they've formed a network uh, so that we, we sort of talk to each other, we meet regularly, we sort of share ideas. And one of the ideas that came out of that, uh, the network in the mid-'90s was, you know, some of our residency programs are based in community health centers, although they're hospital-funded. And we think that these, health, these, these um, residency programs that have this strong link to community health centers uh, produce a different kind of family physician than ones say at the uh, big urban hospitals, and we'd love to study that, and we'd like to see if that's true or not. So um, the residency network here in the Whammy region uh, reached out to me and uh, some of my colleagues and said, "Would you help us study this?" So uh, Dr. Carl Morris, who's um, now at uh, the Kaiser Group Health Residency in Seattle. And I sort of uh, we traveled around. We did interviews with and uh, with with um, with these residency programs, got some of their stories, and then we also did some uh, analytic work looking at the outcomes of the those programs compared to more traditional residency programs. And sure enough, uh, as we uh, had heard from these programs. Uh, the experiences of the residents who are um, doing their residency training in community centers and in community health center type clinics, uh, and then the outcomes of those residents, they turn, ended up being three to four times more likely than, than traditional residency graduates to uh, practice in community health centers, to practice in underserved areas. These were all family physicians, of course, but sort of the, the, the kind of family physicians that they uh, uh, ended up being in the kind of family medicine that they ended up practicing tended to be much, was much more likely to be um, of the kind that wanted to support in uh, rural underserved practices, even uh, urban underserved practices. So that was kind of the kernel of the work. We did about three or four papers that came out of that work. We were really we were lucky in our region because we had programs like Billings, Montana, um, Boise, Idaho, a um, couple programs here in the Seattle area in. Uh, and in central Washington and Yakima that were really sort of this kind of prototypical model of a community health center married to a residency program or, or a residency program that came out of a community health center. And we really sort of wanted to, to study what was unique about these places uh, and tell that story of, of what their outcomes were. Hmm. So we were able to do that in the in the published literature, and I think that was very helpful to get the word out about it. Um, I am trained as a health services researcher, and in my career goals, it has always been to do research that somehow translates into policy, becomes something real. And so, what's interesting is like nobody tells you once you do the research, how do you make the rest of that happen? Mm-hmm. 
And so I think that was that was what was exciting about this is when it then got picked up and and part of the of the Affordable Care Act. What was also very helpful for this work was that we had not just the quantitative results, which we which I just shared with you, you know, sort of 60, 70 percent of these graduates go on to practice in in underserved areas, and that was kind of the, the goal for. Mm-hmm. So the qualitative studies, the interviews and the in-depth interviews we did with the CEOs of these uh, community health centers, with the residency directors, with the residency graduates, that really told the story of what it takes to build um, essentially a teaching health center, which was a, a residency married to a community health center, because some of these had not worked in the past. Some of these had failed. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it really, it really, you know, the bottom line from that story was about leadership and it was about shared missions, and it was about money. Mm. And of those three pieces, the one that's the most policy accessible is the money piece. I see. And so as people started um, talking about the Affordable Care Act and the problems of, of the health care system uh, leading to that, which were um, access and insurance coverage, uh, this the the story with Obamacare was we're going to expand insurance coverage to a lot more Americans, but who's going to take care of them and who's going to take care of them in the places where they live? And that's where the opportunity came for expanding primary care training and especially a targeted program that would really um, get to uh, those populations that really need um, primary care physicians. Mm. Yeah, it would be nice to kind of dig in for a second there on uh, some of the other things you learned in the interviews because I can I can speak for the fact that you know, having trained at, uh, you know, it wasn't called a teaching health center when I was in training, but uh, right. having trained in uh, one of these sites, the the hidden curriculum element, the, the, the leadership and shared mission part that you're talking about was, was yeah. really important to me. You know, if I had trained in a more traditional hospital-based residency, I, I'm, I'm not so certain I would have had those role models around me or I might have felt more countercultural and other elements. So uh, I'm and you curious. Did is your that... residency in Chicago, right? In, in one of the health centers there? Uh, I did my residency in Lawrence. Uh, oh, in Lawrence. Yeah, at course, the Greater yeah. Lawrence Family Health Center. Uh, yeah, is, is, right. is what I'm saying kind of similar to what people were telling you? Yeah. So, uh, you know, let me say first, you know, and, and of course, you know, that's, I remember sort of meeting you sort of early on and, and talking about this. So, Greater Lawrence is, is I think, by most accounts, the first. Uh, teaching health center. It's the fir- It was the first model. It wasn't called a teaching health center at that time, but it was the first model of, hey, let's let's have a community health center, and then this is a great place to train residents, and let's let's train residents there who will go on to to do this kind of work um, in their uh, in their careers. And so um, so that's exactly what you saw there. What we what we learned as we talked to programs like yours and and the ones in our region. Where that is, it was a really hard marriage, uh, if you will. And the, again, that marriage was between a federally qualified health center, a, a CHC, and a residency training program. Do you know the community health center program is successful and has its own history and its own culture, and it's primarily a culture of service, mm-hmm. and that anything that detracts from service uh, is a potential threat. And so, what what we found was the key to success for these combined health center residency programs was the leadership and a, sh- a shared mission of both service and training, uh, service and education. And 
um, you don't see that in every community health center by far. And so that was that was part of the story was you had to have uh, a board of directors that was really uh, bought into this shared mission and was willing to to um, invest and also commit to that piece. And so, that I, you know, I think if there's there's something you can't legislate, and yet it was really sort of so critical was you had to have that that shared that dual mission, if you will, of both service and and training. To backtrack a little bit, where are we now with the current status of federal funding for teaching health centers? So the uh, Teaching Health Center program has actually been, uh, I would say, very successful. We've, we now pr- support um, over some programs in the country um, that uh, many of them are brand new residency programs, and then there's over 750 residents who are currently being supported by Teaching Health Center funding. The program was created five-year funding window, $350 million allocated for the Teaching Health Center program to HRSA. And so the idea was, well, you know, we'll we'll support this for five years, and by the time those five years are over, you know, we'll be in a whole different place, and we'll have found a different, a more sustainable sort of way of funding this, and, and it'll will have transformed <laughs> healthcare and GME mm-hmm. funding. Unfortunately, that that five years came to an end in 2016, and there wasn't an alternative method for GME funding that was um, obvious. And so Congress was um, asked to and, and did continuation funding for the teaching health centers for a couple of years. And we are coming right up to the end of that couple of years now. And there's currently two bills, a Senate bill in play right now to continue supporting uh, teaching health center graduate medical education funding. This program has been going on for six years now. Uh, what are the early lessons, or is there uh, evidence? Is there an evidence basis upon which we can draw some conclusions about how this uh, program is doing? Our early studies uh, have been borne out, and it was it was really a, um, a story about if you build it, you know, uh, first will they come, and then uh, and then once you build it, do they do what we what we wanted them to do, and so. Um, it's been, as you said, sort of six years now, five to six years for most of these programs. The residency training period is three years for, for family medicine, at least. And so from the, the early data, we're seeing about 60 to 70 percent of these graduates working uh, from teaching health centers, working in disadvantaged or, or rural communities, uh, including community health centers. That's pretty much what we did, you know, when we when we did our studies, that was, that was that same sort of number that we were looking for. A significant number, about almost a quarter of these residents are themselves financially or educationally uh, disadvantaged background uh, residents or, or from a rural background. So we, what we've been able to create are places for residency training that attract family physicians and train family physicians to serve in these communities. Uh, and, and we're getting sort of the benefit of that and that they are, in fact, sort of after they graduate going on to, to serve these communities that we, that we want them to, to, to serve. I think that was, that's part of a reflection of what we saw in the early research, what you see from programs like, like Greater Lawrence. Uh, it's also a reflection of how the policy was created, uh, that it really required you know, these training programs to be primary care, A, and then B, community-sponsored, and I think that what we were able to do is uh, select places where 
they did have that shared mission, hmm. uh, uh, and they had um, the the right kind of leadership, and then and then you were able to fund them. Hmm. You know, they actually had the money um, and the more importantly the control of the money to be able to support the mission that that they wanted to fulfill. Hmm. Do do hospital partners um, feel like they're losing funds or that that this is a threat to their funding streams uh, as teaching health center funding goes to their uh, health center partners? So the actual hospitals that work with these teaching health centers, I could see it as uh, the the finances of this are, you know, if you're a hospital CFO, the first question you ask is, well, who's going to pay for this residency program? And the hospitals still have to be involved, right? I mean, you still have to um, meet accreditation requirements, you still have to do, you know, rotations in hospitals. Hospitals are still part of the picture. But what we found is many of these hospitals are no longer able to get GME money, so they had been capped, right, mm. by the by the Balanced Budget Act and sort of were no longer able to get GME. So this was new money that came from a HRSA source rather than CMS source that would that would help support them. Mm. Um, and so 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 that was a, that was a win. Uh, some of these hospitals involved said, hey, we, we can pull down uh, Medicare GME money, and so let's go that way instead of the HRSA money. Mm. And so it was really a, it was a joint and a, you know, that's what we really encouraged was any community thinking about starting up a teaching health center, you know, t- you had to talk to your hospitals because they had to be, you know, they had to be partners in this. And then the finances might work out one way or another depending on what your situation is, right? You might be able to get more money from Medicare GME for this, and that would be fine. But if you weren't able to, then this was another option. Mm. Uh, if you don't mind switching gears for a moment, you, you touched on this earlier. Um, can I ask how you ended up interested in health service research and whether you have uh, any advice for those who want to be able to produce research that translates into effective policy? Sure. Usually most of the students and residents come to me saying, I want to change policy, mm. not I want to create research that changes policy, right? And so uh, for me... I did medical school at UCSF, did my uh, master's of public health during that time at Berkeley, and my interest really was in the public health, community health, and a little bit on the research piece. And, you know, I think the research piece became part of that training for me, that additional training, and um, I found that, you know, I, my interest as both as a primary care physician but also uh, was in was in thinking about things at a at a system level or a community level, and so that was helpful with my public health training. After residency, it really became the question of where do you want to take that? Do you want to go a straight public health route uh, and do something like the EIS program with CDC, or what's been your interest? And I actually had a, had some early success and some real support in doing uh, research. Uh, and health and family medicine research, and you know, I was at a, I was here at the University of Washington. Um, I had a lot of uh, great mentors, and um, and and early positive experiences around sort of research. But I also you know, sort of had that sense of I wanted to do research that would make a difference, and it would make a difference, maybe not at the clinical bedside, but at at a at a policy level. So that's really sort of that that path. I ended up doing a. Robert Johnson uh, Clinical Scholarship, where, again, it was further research training, but at least I was meeting people and talking to people that had that very strong sort of sense of how does this become policy or how do you, how do you, um, how do you help get that research into those places. 
you know, stepping back as I talk to folks who are interested in health policy or interested in, in making a change, one of, one of the pathways to getting there is as researcher. Uh, you, you know, you get to those tables, if you will, those policymaking tables. There's only a couple different ways that, uh, uh, that you get one of those seats. One of them ha- happens to be to be a, an expert in a, in a particular area, and the, the way to develop expertise is, is through research. Uh, and through developing that piece. And so that was really, I think, for me, one of those pathways. You know, the other ways of getting there are you, you can get yourself elected to a position, you end up working for somebody, an agency or something like that where you're representing, right? So, but, those are, you know, there's only so many seats around that table, and, and it's worth thinking about sort of what's going to get you to one of those seats and, you know, um, being an expert, uh, sort of a, a, re- a research portfolio is definitely one of those ways to get there. All right, Freddie, uh, thank you again for joining us in the program. Yeah, thanks for having me, and I really appreciate um, this, the opportunity to talk about the program. You've been listening to Review of Systems. If you liked the episode, please don't forget to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Play. That'll help you get weekly updates with our new episodes. We'd love to hear from you, and you can find us on Twitter at ROS Podcast, or on Facebook at Review of Systems, or you can email us at contact at rospod.org, and you'll find an online archive of our shows at rospod.org. Thanks for listening. Now here's Audrey with a special offer. The Harvard Center for Primary Care is sponsoring a conference on October 10th in Boston entitled Primary Care in 2020, Future Challenges, Tips for Today. The conference aims to help leaders in primary care prepare for an uncertain future while still delivering high-quality patient care right now. Among many other distinguished leaders in primary care, Dr. Jeffrey Brunner, founder of the Camden Coalition and featured in Atul Gawande's famous Hotspotters article, will speak. Review Systems listeners can enter the code RADIO in all lowercase to receive 15% discount on the registration fees for all of the various options. You can find a link to the registration form and agenda for the conference on our website, or you can go directly to the Harvard Center for Primary Care site at primarycare.hms.harvard.edu. That's primarycare.hms.harvard.edu, and enter the promo code RADIO.